Hi guys, my name is Chris Lane. It's good to be here, and uh, I, I've had actually a, we've had a fun week, Fliss and I. Last weekend, as many of you know, was our Global Leadership Summit. We partnered with the Willow Creek Association. We had 400 leaders here. It was Conference Central, and this coming weekend, course to live for looks to be another 400 people Conference Central. And Alan Scott, what Richard didn't say, he's probably the, be the, the, the most informed and most exciting exponent of the healing ministry in the vineyard at the moment. They're seeing scars disappear up there in Northern Ireland where his churches are. It's going to be a great, a great uh, time, and he's going to be there on the Friday evening and the Saturday morning, I know that much. So a little bit of uh, secret in insider information. Do come along to that. Well, anyway, last weekend was a real stretch. We all ended up exhausted but, but happy. And, and Fliss and I, knowing that it was going to be a, a bit of a weekend, we'd blocked some time out. So on Monday, uh, I, did, I was at home, and I, I got rid of a lot of chores, tidied up the garden, you know, uh, fixed my car, got on a ladder and poked a, a black bin bag in a hole that the starlings were getting to, got up into my loft, you know, did all these sort of chores and things, felt very satisfied at the end of the day. Saturday, uh, Tuesday, rather, we went up to London, and uh, uh, we had some time out, celebrated Fliss's birthday. We went to a show in the evening, all singing, dancing. It was great. Everybody was sort of tapping their feet. I had to drag Fliss off the stage, but, but no matter. She was having fun. You know, she was having fun, you know. Uh, Wednesday, we went to a leader's um, event down in the Cotswolds for two days, and Friday, I came back and collapsed on the sofa, absolutely exhausted, and I actually realized that I was ill. So I've had a bit of a viral thing going. You can all go, ah, at that point, ah. Well, more, more. Right. Um, but the thing, you know, daytime television, you know, that's fun. I can, you know, get into all that History Channel stuff. And, and by the way, do you know that you might have been missold PPI? I, I, I didn't know that. Did you know that? I'm like, my gosh, you know. And, you know, I picked up so many useful things. I think I've got a brass carriage clock and a Parker pen. Uh, I, I think, uh, having renewed my insurance, a, a soft toy meerkat is winging its way to me. So I've used the two days on the sofa well, all right? Less of that, more of this. Let's pray. Father God, I want to say thank you to you. Thank you, Lord God, that our times and our seasons are in your hands. Lord, you are the Lord of all time. And as we, as we considered a couple of weeks ago, we want every moment, whether we're sick, whether we're fighting fit, whether we're here, there, or anywhere, we want every moment to be a God-filled moment. So we pray now that you will presence yourself in this moment for us. Whatever we've come from, whatever we're going to, May we engage with you with single-minded attention and devotion. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, last week we began the Jonah series. And uh, just in case you weren't here, I'm going to do a little recap just to help us get into the thing. But also there is this book, The Jonah Complex. We're not following the book, but there is this, this is, uh, I've really got a lot out of studying Jonah, and you will find that helpful, and maybe some of the home groups will like to do that. That's up on the bookstall. And also, uh, Fliss quite rightly wanted me to draw your attention to the fact that the vineyard notebooks are back in stock. They flew off the shelves. We had to book, we had to uh, restock them, so they're back in. So a couple of little goodies for you to rush up to the bookstall and get after the end of the service. Last week, we began this series, The Jonah Files, What They Don't Want You to Know About Grace, 
And uh, we did a bit of background, a little bit of history, a little bit of uh, infilling. Uh, in uh, and if you missed that, please do check it out on the, the website. And uh, one thing I wanted to uh, do, which was to just draw your attention to a, a great little video we saw. And uh, it was entitled Courage to Act by Pranitha Timothy. Sorry, Matt, I'm going slightly off, uh, off the plan here. And, uh, and she was this extraordinary woman. We, we, we came into contact with her through the Global Leadership Summit. And she's a, a slip of, a, of an Indian woman, very small, very petite. She had serious uh, issues with a brain tumor, which robbed her of speech, of, of, of her hearing in one ear. Uh, just, it was a life-threatening thing. That got dealt with, and God slowly restored her and healed her. And now she works for International Justice Mission, a wonderful organization, and she has been personally responsible in leading teams that set free 4,000 slaves and more. An inspiring testimony. It was a 15-minute video. We showed it last week, and I, I'm sure that if the uh, small group leaders were to ask, we could probably supply you with a copy in due course. Don't all rush at once uh, so you can see that again. But three things that she said that she had learned about life, I, I, I took away from that talk. And I've been thinking about that. And it's kind of, you know, it's interesting in the light of this Jonah series. And I want to, in case you missed it, just remind you of the three things that she said that she had learned in her walk with Jesus over these last few years. First of all, we are all called to serve, without exception. Every single follower of Jesus is called to serve. There's not some that serve, like the full-time people and others that get served. It's all in it together. We are all called to serve. Secondly, she said this life, her life, our life, the life that you and I have, this life belongs to God. And what I really heard from her in that moment was her exposition of that. And she said this, she said that it's not just about, you know, okay, my life is Jesus's, because I think most Christians, if you've been around for a little while, will be able to sort of trot that off. But she said it's more than that. It's an intentional, proactive laying down of our agenda in order to pursue his agenda. I'll repeat that. It's an intentional, proactive laying down of our agenda in order to pursue his agenda. And of course, that's so much a feature of the Jonah story as we're beginning to understand and explore. And then the third thing that she said, which I love and need to be reminded of time and again, is God is good always. God is good always. One of the other speakers, it's funny how things come together, you know, when, uh, when the Lord is on the case. But one of the other speakers last weekend, Condoleezza Rice, was talking about going on an aid mission to uh, Central Africa. And while she was there, she visited, as one does, a, a kind of refugee center. And there was this poor little mite of a, a, a fella, a little child, was eating some, some rice and some meal and stuff like that. And uh, she looked at him, and he was a chirpy little thing, and she said, God is good. And he said all the time. I was so touched by that. God is good all the time. And this was from a, a, a little child who, at his young age, already knew what starvation looked like, already knew what it was like to lose a parent, to know violence and, and disconnection and disorientation. He, he just 
spoke the truth. God is good all the time. So with, those, with that little recap, we'll now pick up the story again in Jonah. And thanks, Matt. I'm going to kind of retract now on the notes. And uh, we're going to look at the first six verses of um, Jonah then. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. <clears throat> the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that he, we will not perish. We're going to stop there. I just found myself reflecting again, and I asked this question last week, and we gave it a sort of a, a working title answer, which we're going to explore and perhaps hope to understand a little bit more. But the question I asked last week, and the question I'll ask again this week is, so why did Jonah run? Why did Jonah run? Last week, you will recall how I said that Jonah was what we might describe a house prophet, He's referenced in two kings as, as being in the reign of, 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 Jer of Jeroboam II, and he's given a message to bring, which is a message of peace and prosperity. You know, if you're a prophet, a genuine, authentic prophet of God, how cool is that to be given a message not of divine judgment, but peace and prosperity? And, he, and the message was, restore the ancient boundaries, Jeroboam, and then peace will prevail. And so Jeremiah did what he was told, and they did that, and guess what? Peace and prosperity broke out. Way to go, Jonah! Jonah was prophet of the month. You know, employee of the month, prophet of the month. He was prophet of the month, and, you know, places were found for him at the high table and feasts and high holidays, and he, it was great being a prophet when you prophesy great news, good news, words of comfort, peace, and prosperity. And that probably was a happy state in which he lived for some time, honored at every event, and very much a part of the establishment. And then one day, one day, just when he wasn't expecting it, he gets a word from God, and the word is this, go to Nineveh, that great city, and speak my word to them, words of judgment and condemnation because of their terrifying wickedness. And last week, and I'm not going to repeat what I said last week, but seriously, folks, Nineveh was the third Reich of its day. So you have this comfortable house prophet, probably with a little bit too much weight around its middle, perhaps like me, suddenly told to go into Nineveh, which was the absolute center of, 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 of all sorts of atrocities and prophesy word of judgment. He was afraid, and rightly so. 
wasn't the only emotion, the only thing that fired him up, and we'll see more of that later, as I've already said, but he was afraid. And he thought about it, he wrestled with it, he prayed about it, he agonized about it, he probably talked to his wife about it, he probably, it niggled him, it nagged him, and all the rest of it. And in the end, he decides to do a runner. And he seeks out a ship to Tarshish. The ship to Tarshish. This is where I want to land this week. I want to explore this thought, this runaway thought, for a little while. You know, uh, when we are avoiding, if you're a follower of Jesus, um, you may know what I'm talking about. When you are trying to block out something that God is saying to you, we resort to all sorts of kind of contortions and things. You know, we fill our lives with busyness, with good works, with, with... you know, worthy causes, with ever more prayer and supplication, but basically it's a cover-up because we're going, no, 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 don't want to hear that, 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 don't want to hear that. We fill our lives with spiritual noise to avoid this still, small voice of God which is urging us to take a course of action, to say or do something, to build something, that God has on his heart to do. Sometimes, and I think there's a, this, this, this little teaching could be a metaphor also for those of us who fall into sin. You know, this is rather on my mind at the moment because as I mentioned a few weeks ago, you know, as a pastor, you're always dealing with these sort of cruddy situations. But one thing, something really affected me recently when a, a, a local church pastor, a person I've known for many years, very well respected, a very... You know, led a great church locally and then a, a national ministry. And he, at the beginning of September, the news was put out that he had to step down because of a gross moral failure. And it's really, really, it really affected me. It, it distressed me and disturbed me. Because it's the kind of thing, if he can go, well, what hope is there for any of us? It's kind of that kind of a deal. And so I found myself reflecting, knowing this guy and knowing him over many years, how could that happen? How, how could you know, everything be hunky-dory and suddenly the next thing you know he's run off to Ireland with a, his, his 23-year-old PA? You know, how could this happen? You know? and so I found myself reflecting upon that and I found myself getting this weird kind of overlay thing, the ship to Tarshish running. You know, how does that work? And so I've got three little insights that may be applicable if you're facing a particular temptation or a particular possibly life-changing course of action which may not to be, be to your benefit, or if you are simply you know, seeking God's face and not wanting to hear what he's saying to you about the future. So this is, this is good stuff if you're in it, but it's good stuff to tuck away until a day when you might need it, because I think there's something we can learn from Jonah here. The first thing is that when we begin to consider running away from God, the first thing that happens is the heart begins to, the heart itself, the very core of our being, that place where our emotions live, the heart within us begins to tell us that this is the right thing to do. And I think most people these days, probably myself included, you know, trust our heart, perhaps above all things, And yet the scriptures tell us that the heart is deceitful above all things. 
We, we can't trust our own heart. You know, when, when a dear friend confides some guilty secret to you and then justifies it by saying, but it just feels so right. It just feels so good. You know, alarm bells should kick off because the heart is deceitful above all things. I'm not down on feeling or emotion. God gave them to us. I assume he thought they were a good idea. But we need, they need to be healed up and redeemed. But when a friend or when you find yourself saying to a friend, I know it sounds crazy, but it just feels so right, then you're in trouble. Alarm bells should start going off. Jonah knew what God had said to him. And he was a, he was a straight up guy, seriously. Okay, perhaps a little too comfortable, a little too opulent, a little bit too fond of the, the court of the king. But you know, he was faithful. He had done what God had asked him to do. He was just lucky. It had been a message of peace and prosperity. But in this moment, he has what one might describe as a bad feeling about this. You want me to go to Nineveh? I've got a bad feeling about this. So the first thing is the heart begins to stray. The heart begins to lead us away from the center of the will of God. The next thing is, if it begins to kind of catch fire, the passion begins to kick in, then we begin to rationalize it. The first thing, the heart, and then we begin to work it out. We try and build a structure that makes it make sense. We rationalize disobedience. Psalm 36 verse 4 says this, even on their beds they plot. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. So the heart has gone after something or someone or a course of action or a passion or a guilty secret or an appetite or whatever it is, fill in the blanks yourself. But then we begin to rationalize it. You know, as a pastor over the years, I don't know how many times I've been told, you know, things like, well, she's cold, she's frigid. All I want is a little bit of love and affection. You know, is that so wrong? Is that so wrong? And I could fill in various scripts, but I don't want to be too prescriptive. I want, I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to apply this to whatever situations are represented here and for which this word is needful. But people begin to rationalize these things. And I don't know what was in Jonah's mind as he packed his bag, his rucksack or whatever, and headed off down to the coast. I doubt very much at that moment that he thought, I'll go and catch a a ship to Tarshish, he may have done, who knows. But what was definitely in his mind was, okay, Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire is east, I'm going as far as I can west. That's God's will for me, that's where he wants me to go, I'm going that way, flipping heck, and it's just as fast as I can. And in the 60-mile walk from Jerusalem down to the coast, you know, and more possibly, well then, you know, there was plenty of time to reflect and to justify. Oh yes, well, you know, maybe I can get a, a ship to Spain. I mean, I mean, gosh, the people in Spain, they need the gospel, don't they? 
They, they need to be saved. They need God's word. You know, those Ninevites, gosh, they're a violent, horrible, distasteful people. They're the Third Reich, although you wouldn't have used those terms. You know, they don't need, you know, they don't deserve to know God's love and forgiveness and God's word. I'm going to go to people where, where they'll be appreciated. I'm going on this mission trip. I'm going to do that thing. All well and good. It just wasn't what God wanted Jonah to be about. So he will have rationalized it. He gets down to the coast. He gets down to the port. And lo and behold, guess what? There's a ship there going to Joppa, going to, to Tarshish, Spain, as it is today. You know, I have noticed that when you begin to set your heart, your mind on disobedience, things seem to fall into place. Suddenly, there's a ship to Tarshish. There is always a ship to Tarshish waiting to take you in the opposite direction to God's will. And the final kind of step in this, this downfall, be it disobedience, avoiding God's will, or falling into sin, or whatever it is, I think the metaphor works both ways, is that you pay the fare. You commit. That which you've dreamt about on your bed, you've planned, you've schemed, you've, it's almost like a little guilty treasure that you've considered, maybe for days, maybe for weeks, maybe for months, maybe for years. A little thing you've taken out and looked at and considered and savored and then popped away. But there comes this day when suddenly you've got your knapsack on your back you're walking down to the coast, the sun's on your face, wind in your hair. There's a boat to Tarshish, and you pay the fare. That's, a, that's rhymes, isn't it? Could write a song. But in paying the fare, my friend and his PA, I don't know when they paid the fare, but they certainly paid the fare. They, they ran off to Ireland came back again, tail between their legs, but they ran off to Ireland. That was that particular story. But you commit. What starts as a little thing in the heart, as a fantasy kind of plan, suddenly becomes reality. And the die is cast, and there's no going back. So Jonah pays the fare. And at that point, the Scripture tells us that he goes on the ship... And he goes down in the hold. He's tired from the journey, tired with all the wrangling. He's finally made the decision, and suddenly an incredible weariness comes on him. He's just relieved to have made the decision. No more struggling, no more fighting. Just go with the flow. And he goes down into the hold, and he lays out, and he falls into a deep sleep. At this point, I have a, a question. You know, what does the blessing of God look like? Is it uh, a calm sea and a safe passage? Well, of course it is. You know, the blessing of God, in my understanding and my family's understanding, is when things go right, isn't it? When things seem to fall into place, when a threat that we felt we were under at one point is removed, where the kids are all well and then none of them are sick, where there's a little bit of money in the bank, enough and perhaps a little bit more. When things are just going swimmingly, isn't that the blessing of God? Of course it is. Of course it is. Absolutely. 
But equally for myself, when things didn't go right, when things started to get a bit crazy, and if you've got four kids, there's plenty of times when things start going a bit crazy, there were times when I would say to Fliss, or Fliss would say to me, what is happening here? All hell seems to be breaking loose. We've got to pray. Sometimes when things go wrong, we think it's the enemy, but it may be God. You know, uh, I, I remember a time when uh, we missed a ferry with all the kids. It was, uh, I was devastated. We were coming back from holiday, and I got the dates wrong. We completely missed this ferry. There's a story that I haven't got time to tell you. My father missed the last plane out of Burma before the Japanese overran. At the time, he's been long dead now, but I remember him telling at the time, he just could not believe what he had just done. He had a seat on the last plane out of Burma before the, the Japanese overrun. As a result of that, he was captured by the Japanese and spent over four years in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. He saw friends die, starve, tortured, all the rest of it. It sounds like hell, and it was hell. But curiously enough, the last plane out of Burma was hit by a shell as it took off over the end of the runway. He was shot down. And he wasn't a religious man, my father, but he counted himself a lucky man, ending up in a Japanese prisoner of war camp for four years rather than getting that last plane. But if you'd, if you'd asked him at the moment that he arrived at the place with his bit of luggage and the gates were already barred against him, if you'd asked him in that point whether he was a blessed man or a lucky man, he would have said probably a few choice words. You see, the blessing of God sometimes isn't just bluebirds and rainbows, as much as I love them personally. <laughs> sometimes the blessing of God looks different. For Jonah, as we know, the blessing of God ended up as a terrifying, life-threatening storm. Except initially, Jonah didn't even notice it, because he was asleep downstairs. And that's the funny thing about sin or disobedience or running from God. Initially, it just feels so right. I'm back to that little phrase again. Initially, it just feels so good. Initially, it feels like, whoa, I can't believe I agonized over this for so long. This is just so wonderful. It must be God. It must be right. But you see, if Jonah had had a safe passage all the way to Tarshish, he may have put that down in his daily journal as a time, a season of favor and blessing. But the reality of it was, was that God's heart was moved, first with anger, but later with compassion, for 120,000 men, women, children, babies in Nineveh, who, as he described, and didn't know their right hand from their left, they were in such deep darkness. You see, the blessing of God was to chuck everything at Jonah to get him to turn around and get back over to Nineveh. But he had his heart and his mind and had paid the fare on disobedience. He was way down this. There was no going back, or so he thought. 
Now, this series is titled The Jonah Files, What They Don't Want You to Know About Grace. The good news I have for you, and I was so touched and blessed, genuinely, by our thank you prayers when so many of you thank God for his grace. Because I do think this is a church that is beginning to explore and beginning to understand all the better God's grace. But the truth of the matter is this. It doesn't matter where you are. You can be in the very presence of God here in church or in your home or walking the dog and there is grace for you. You can be on the run from God. You may have been dragged along here because you were shamed into coming or whatever the reason, you may be here. And you may just be sitting there thinking, well, there's, I don't know why I'm here. I'm so far down this course of action. I'm so far away from God. I've, I've been disobedient for so long, there is no turning back. That's what they, the principalities and powers and whoever else, wants you to think. The truth about God and about his grace is that you can be heart, mind, having paid the fare, out in the ocean, a million miles from God, going in the wrong direction, and his grace will seek you out. And he comes, he will do whatever it takes to A, get your attention, and B, to embrace his rescue. You know, later on, there isn't time to do it now, but later on, Jonah has a kind of a little psalm. There's a psalm there, we read it last week, where he talks about, you know, going down the very depths of the ocean, really believing that his life was over. And in that moment, he cried out to God for rescue and mercy, and God rescued him. And what I want you to hear about grace is it doesn't matter what you've been into, what your story is, where you've gone, what you're going to be doing immediately after this meeting. God's grace is there for you, and he will have you back now. You can turn around now. Don't let that little voice or something somebody said, you're a bad and you'll always be a bad and whatever people say to you, whatever you've thought about yourself, understand this. God's grace is sufficient for you. God is the rescuer. And God can take you from this moment and bring you back home to him. That is an extraordinary measure of grace. If I can just labor the point, forgive me for laboring it, but it's not like some sort of, you know, uh, you know I, I hope I'm not speaking ill of the dead, perhaps I am. You know, my mother, who I uh, got saved in her late 40s and was an absolute wonderful, devoted Christian with a very simple but very intense faith. She was a difficult mum when I was at home and a young, young, young man. And this was even before my father died. She had been raised in a very hard working class family in Smethwick and it was all about performance. And it was all about you do this and then I'll love you. And you know, some people think that that it's all down to us. You know, if we get our act together and tidy ourselves up, well, then God might reluctantly, with a foot tapping, with folded arms and pursed lips, say, all right, get over there, then keep quiet. I don't hear anything from you. You've been very naughty, and I'm sick of it. That was my mum's script. That is not God's script. God pursues us with an intensity 
with an all-out passion. He's bled for us on the cross for heaven's sake. And that's at the heart of the gospel, that there is grace for you. It doesn't matter how many miles you think you can put between God and yourself, it's not enough and never will be. Extraordinary, extraordinary truth. So here we have it then. Jonah is in the, the hold, found a nice little cozy spot, and he's asleep, thinking all is rosy. You know, I used to be a fly fisherman, a bit of a fad for a while, a few years, used to go fly fishing. And the thing that, with fly fishing is that you, you cast the fly out. Do you see that? I've still got the, the whole sort of thing going there. That's, that's what you need. That's, that, that, I'm, not, I'm not gay, no. It's, that's, that's the thing you need to do. There's a kind of a looseness in the wrist. You build up these S's in the, and then you flick it out and the fly lands without creating a ripple, just the spot you want it. It's great skill and great finesse in catching trout on a fly. And then what happens is that you watch intently and if you've cast the, the fly into the right spot, the, the, the um, trout will come up and it sucks the fly in. It doesn't you know, bite on it, it goes like that. And it sucks it into its mouth and then it'll start to swim away. And a good and skillful fly fisherman knows this, that you don't yank the thing as soon as you see that fly go. You leave it, you wait. And it rolls it around its mouth. And just before it begins to think, what's that? It's a bit hard. That point. It can be three quarters of a second. Quite a long time, actually, when you're wanting to go, whoa! You let it suck it in, it begins, and then you yank. And so it is with sin. Jonah thought he was home clear. Passage paid. Tarshish, here I come. And that's what sin feels like. That's what disobedience feels like when you're well down the track and you've paid the fare. But all of a sudden there's a yank and all hell breaks loose. And for Jonah, what happened was that the captain went down, finding Jonah asleep, couldn't believe he was asleep. What's the matter with you, man? He shakes, he shakes Jonah rudely and wakes him up and says, pray to your God. Maybe he'll rescue us. The wake-up call. And I hope that for us here, that in some sense, this word and this part of the message, there are other aspects to come, will be something of a wake-up call. Whatever and wherever we are. For some of us, it's just words of affirmation and joy and savor the grace of God, his goodness to you. But for others, maybe we need a wake-up call. Maybe we're running from God and from something he's spoken over us. We're not in sin, it's just disobedience and we're rationalizing it. Maybe have done for years. For others, it's, it is sin. You're, you're on a slippery slope. It is worrying and you should be worried, but you're not worried because it just feels so good. So I hope this is a wake-up call. It may take a, a couple more sessions before it actually comes home to roost. So I hope you'll come back. I hope so. Sometimes I think it's a little bit like uh, being asleep in bed and suddenly 
there's a banging on the door, the front door downstairs, and it's the postman with the delivery, and maybe you're having a bit of a lie-in on holiday or Saturday morning or whenever, if you lie-in. I don't tend to lie-in, but, but maybe it's like that. And you know what happens initially when there's somebody banging on the door? You're kind of incorporated in the dream. You, you kind of think, you know, you're building a boat or trying to assemble an MFI wardrobe or something in the dream. And suddenly you kind of come to your sense, what, what, what? Oh my gosh, there's somebody banging on the door. And so you leg it down there and you just catch it before he disappears. I hope that if it's not a wake-up call for you today, that you're beginning to hear the banging on the door in the midst of your dream. Because the Lord is wanting to wake up his church. Because there's a city out there called Nineveh that needs a message of judgment and forgiveness. Not one without the other, but the two things together. So, the wake-up call. Jonah jumps up. The rest of the story is there, and you can, you can catch it when you get home. But let me just finish with these two things. A reminder, and I've said it already, there is always a ship leaving for Tarshish. The enemy puts things in your way that will lead you astray. You may think, well, that's extraordinary. What a coincidence. It must be God. It must be God that I'm supposed to go to Tarshish. There's a a boat just about to go. An opportunity presents itself. Surprise, surprise. The enemy wants you to fall into sin. He wants you to, forgive the nautical pun, to shipwreck your faith. He wants you to be disobedient. He will help you in that. It's time to wake up and be intentional, as dear Pranitha Timothy said, intentional in the laying down of our lives and our agendas in order to take on God's agenda. That's what what Jonah needed to hear. And that's what he'd forgotten. And so, with that, asking, ask yourself, am I running away from God? Do, do I need to come back to God and receive that wonderful grace, knowing that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ? No condemnation. doesn't matter how big a roundabout you've been on, how big a walkabout, you may, maybe years, God doesn't keep that kind of score. All he is looking for is hearts that are turning back towards him, minds that are seeking to be renewed by him and his word. And the resolve and the commitment to take up whatever he puts in our way and to give it our all. Please stand. Let's have the the band up and I'll pray and we'll finish there. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you to you that wherever we are, we may be right up close with you and and in a wonderful and and truly blessed state and, and many, I'm sure, are in that place. But our heart goes out to those who are on the run for whatever reason. Uh, And we pray, Lord God, that you would throw everything at them. Throw a great storm into their life just to make them 
wake up, Lord God. Because if they're not doing what you want, if they're not living in you, well then not only they, but perhaps who knows how many thousands of others are suffering too. So we ask for your blessing and your your grace and your mercy that we may become a people of grace, not afraid of the truth, knowing as we do that we have a great and compassionate God who is full of mercy and full of grace. And everyone said, Amen.